The first piece of diving equipment was a rock. When early humans tried to swim below the surface of lakes, rivers or coastal waters, they discovered their bodies floated upward. So they learned to grab hold of a rock, take a deep breath and allow the weight to pull them down. When they could hold their breath no longer, they let go of the rock and felt themselves being pulled to the surface. They understood the need to overcome their positive buoyancy thousands of years before Archimedes articulated his principle. People used rocks to dive to shallow depths, usually to spear fish or collect something edible, but they were not enticed deeper. Nor did diving become a profession until they conceived gods. By the time sea levels had stopped rising, around 10,000 years ago, Many hunter-gatherers had ceased wandering and formed communities in areas that would become cradles of civilization. Making shelters, tending flocks, planting crops, harvesting grain, baking breads and all the tasks of communal living required hierarchical organization. Someone had to herd the animals and someone had to record their number. Someone needed to decide how much grain could be eaten after the harvest and how much should be stored for the winter. Communal life only functioned if there were leaders and followers. Critical to any developing civic system was religious belief. Leaders could only control and console a community if they could explain the inexplicable. Why, for example, did some seasons bring plentiful rains and bountiful crops, while others brought drought and famine? Leaders soon learned to gesture to some inaccessible place and explain that gods lived there. If those gods were pleased, the people would get what they needed and be fed and kept safe. If the people disobeyed the rules of the gods, which were always communicated via their chosen representatives rather than directly to the people, then the gods would be displeased and the people would suffer. Gods are invisible. Leaders understood they had to display tangible symbols to prove they had been ordained by the intangible authorities. They needed to live in the largest hut, sit in the highest position, or be adorned with something such as a crown or an elaborate piece of clothing. In antiquity, throughout Asia and in the civilizations that flourished around the Mediterranean Sea, there were two unquestionable symbols of consecration and power gold and pearls. While ancient people dug for gold, they dove for pearls. Therefore, it was pearls and pearl shell that first lured people to go deeper and attempt to stay longer underwater. Pearls are a gem perfected by nature. They don't need to be polished like stones or beaten into shapes like gold. While almost all mollusks are capable of producing pearls, certain varieties of pinctada, pearl oyster, a type of saltwater clam, occasionally produce round or nearly round pearls of extraordinary translucence and beauty, while the smooth, shiny inner layer of the shell itself, mother of pearl, can be carved to make ornamental jewellery and practical tools. The richest pearl beds of antiquity were located between Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon, and India, and in the Persian Gulf. Other pearl fisheries existed in the Red Sea, 
the Gulf of Aden, the Gulf of Mexico, Panama, Japan, Korea, and Thailand. Christopher Columbus discovered rich pearling beds near the island of Cubagua on his third voyage to the New World in 1498. When he relayed the news to Ferdinand II of Spain, a pearling industry was established and the locals were soon worked to death, then replaced by African slaves. The richest pearling beds in the world, along the northern coast of Australia, were not discovered by Europeans until the 1860s. The Vedas, the body of religious texts originating in ancient India, allude to pearl decorations more than a millennium before the Christian era. The two ancient Indian epic poems, Ramayana and Mahabharata, believed to predate 400 BCE, mention pearls and pearl necklaces.